This is the sort of podcast you do without notes. Um, I hesitated to do this at all because the memories of that day 20 years ago come flooding back to me. Uh, a mix of the proudest I've ever been of people and the great pain for the suffering that happened on that day to a bunch of innocent people doing nothing more than going to work and the tragedies that followed as the United States let Al-Qaeda succeed in their most important mission. They terrorized us. They frightened us into overreacting, into missing entirely the geostrategic point of the next 20 years and let a generation of foreign policymakers lead us on a very wrong path. We're only just beginning to correct now. But of course, you have to start with the personal. On September 11th, 2001, a beautiful autumnal day in Washington dawned. The sky was an azure blue. I remember walking up to the top floor of the Heritage Foundation where senior staff were waiting and we were having a discussion on global trade issues. Uh, and I covered for Heritage both the macro and the geopolitics. And I was speaking at, the, at this meeting. And I'll admit the meeting was becoming boring and uh, devolving as meetings do into people's feelings. And I had a view straight out the window, the beautiful window on top of Heritage on Capitol Hill looking out over the Capitol. And I was distracted by the beauty of the scene and pretending to gravely nod at what was being sang, I looked out the window and suddenly I saw what was certainly the most dramatic thing I'd ever seen at a meeting or ever will see at a meeting. I saw smoke coming up from directly behind the Capitol. At first I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. Then I frantically looked at the people sitting to my left and my right. And finally, after all of this, I made a noise, started coughing, and pointed out the window and said, I think the Capitol might be on fire. It certainly was the most dramatic meeting I will ever attend. Everyone rushed to the balcony at Heritage, looked out the window, and some of the smarter military men we had with us said, no, it's, it's downriver from the Capitol. What's directly online downriver from the Capitol across the Potomac? Of course, the answer was the Pentagon. That moment changed my life, and certainly what was the most dramatic departure from a meeting I'll ever do, I walked downstairs and said, I have to go put on my geostrategic hat and figure out who did this to us. I went downstairs where I met my small, young, frightened staff. Already we'd heard reports about a plane crashing into the World Trade Center, but as I went up to my meeting, I was assured it was a single prop plane, much as happened to the Empire State Building in the 1920s, and that all would be well. And I remember saying to my chief of staff, Will Sherano, Will, let me know if things get worse. And he was just heading up the stairs as I was heading down them. And he said, another plane has struck the tower. And suddenly my life changed. I went downstairs and began talking, um, which doesn't happen anymore, to center left think tanks. And immediately we were all on the same page. Immediately we were all working together um, it was the last dying gasp of bipartisanship, and I'm proud to have been a part of that. Very quickly, after talking to some of the other think tanks, we decided it was Al-Qaeda. It bore their hallmarks. They like to attack major targets. They like it to be media-friendly, and they were certainly going, in this case, for a horrendous body count. And having struck the Trade Center, um, the Trade Center Towers, having struck the Pentagon, we thought more might be in store. And sure enough, we heard later on in that day that a last plane was flying, that it had gotten through our air defenses, and that it was bearing down upon Washington. 
And I turned to my very young, very scared, very hardworking staff, and it was just a mania of people running, coming into my office and leaving, Will expertly as ever, getting the right people in the room at the right time so we could say the right thing. We were on constant media alert, trying to explain to people in our teachable moment why it was Al-Qaeda and what in the world was happening to us. And while this was going on, as that last plane was bearing down on us, I called the staff into the office and I said, um, it's certainly heading for Washington. By my reckoning, we can't shoot it down in time, this plane. It's either going to hit the Capitol or it's going to hit the White House. Heritage was on the Senate side of the Capitol. I said, if it hits the White House, we're fine. If it hits the House side, we're fine. But if it hits the Senate side, we will be dead. I'm going to continue working, given those odds. And given the fact that if I'm smart enough to think that maybe bombing the subways after the chaos would be a smart thing to do, maybe indeed Al-Qaeda were also smart enough to think this. So given all these risks and given our duty to the country on this day of all days, I'm staying, but I won't think the less of you if anyone leaves. And I looked around at those young, scared faces. I looked at Will and nobody left the room. Let me say that if Hemingway's definition of bravery, grace under pressure, is to be applied, my young staff are among the bravest people I've ever met. And that is a moment I will never forget. And my pride for them and for the America that, that made them is immense and unlimited. At about this time, the phone lines have been coming and going, coming down, coming up. I managed to find out that the people that I loved were okay. And this caused me great relief. At the same time, the phone finally did get through from a call from London, where Dominic Cummings, soon to become famous as the Svengali behind Boris Johnson, and a good friend of mine who had been running the Business for Sterling campaign, somehow managed to get through on the phone. And Dom said in his very tough way, um, we know it's Al-Qaeda. We explained why we thought it. He agreed. We compared notes. And then he said, know that you're not alone, that Britain stands with you, and that we'll get the bastards. Another moment I will never forget. When people talk about the special relationship amounting to nothing or being some Churchill fantasy club along with FDR, they're wrong. Because of all our allies, Dom is the one who got through. And at that critical moment, when we were all on the edge, Dom's words of reassurance that we weren't alone in what suddenly looked like a very frightening world hit home to us. Of course, then we learned that the brave, unbelievably brave people on that plane had downed the plane so it would not be used as a terrorist target against Washington. I cannot tell you how moved we all were by the sacrifice that they make. There isn't a day of my life I don't think of the people on that plane and the fact that they may have saved my life and that I should use that life that I've been given to the best possible purpose. I think of them every day and I hope that having done what they did, their heroic sacrifice is not in vain and that we learned about America on that day and about our allies. There are a lot of good, brave, decent, honorable, hardworking people out there. So personally, 9-11 for me, for all the tragedy, was an affirmation of everything in the American spirit that I could ever have hoped to find. And I think that today, 20 years later, as I sit in Milan and Italy, thousands of miles away from my home in Washington, but thinking of those people and what we went through together, riding that storm together. 
But if that's the good news, if that's the best of times, as Dickens would put it, what's the worst of times? And the worst of times was the policy that followed. For Al-Qaeda were incredibly successful in what they did. They terrorized us. And I don't mean this in a simplistic way. They used terror to unnerve us, to make us overreact, to make us focus on the wrong thing. We were so intent on them that very shortly thereafter, without any thought being given, terrorism went from a second-order problem, which is what it was, to a first-order problem. The problem is that before, we treated it like a third-order problem. So terrorism went from being under-noticed to immediately over-noticed. And the global war on terror was an effort to make what, in essence, was an intelligence and policing matter the center of American foreign policy obviously because we'd just been struck. And those of you who aren't Americans, it's hard to explain this, but the oceans, the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans are the moats that have kept our castle safe. There weren't casualties like 9-11 since the Battle of Five Forks in the Civil War, the latter days of the Civil War in April 1865 as Grant finally broke through against Lee around Petersburg. That was the last time this number of people died in a single day. Pearl Harbor, tragic as it is, is a vacation spot to most Americans. But New York, our cultural center, and Washington, our political center, are central to how Americans think about themselves. And suddenly, after having a holiday of history of 135 years, disaster struck, and we realized that that holiday had come to an abrupt and terrifying end. But instead of focusing on what was coming, what our real threats were, the rise of China as it continued to grow at double digits quietly while no one was watching, no one was minding the store while we were comforting ourselves with fairy tales, like the Barrington Moore thesis that a richer China will, it would innately be an ally of the United States, would be Robin to America's Batman. So we didn't need to worry about that. We could focus on terrorism instead, which was not a primary order problem. Terrorism and Al-Qaeda, horrendous as they were, and I spent years of my life tracking them down. I say this as someone who has been writing about Al-Qaeda in the Middle East for most of his career. I say this with great sorrow, is not a first order problem. They're not going to remake the global order. They're not going to become a great power. And they can't on their own see America becoming a great power. They can only do that if we let them. If the, we, they jar us into making mistakes in our fear, in our terror, to civil liberties, to endless stays in the Middle East, where we go from rightly smiting the Taliban for hiding bin Laden to smashing al-Qaeda, all of which we had accomplished by December 2001. And this then becomes a nation-building exercise without end that at a minimum costs us $2.26 trillion. And beyond what happened in Iraq, another utter catastrophe. It takes men, it takes our blood, it takes our treasure, and perhaps equally importantly, it takes our focus. Everyone was focused on the Middle East, which is an utterly peripheral interest to the United States with the shale revolution in the United States. We get our oil primarily from Canada and our own country through shale and Mexico. And if the Europeans want to deal with the Middle East where they get their oil, they need to grow themselves an army. But it is not our job to police the Middle East endlessly for no gain and tremendous loss. And 9-11 did that. 
The second thing 9-11 did was got us focused on the wrong thing, the Indo-Pacific, where all the future growth of the world is and all the future political risk of the world is located, was utterly neglected. China continued to rise as leader led to leader until we ended up with Xi Jinping, delighted that we're wasting our blood, our treasure, and our focus on areas of laughable concern. Haiti, Somalia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, again, have only one thing in common. What they have in common is none of them are very important to the United States. None of them are primary interests. China is the game. This wasn't just apparent yesterday. But nobody paid attention because everybody suddenly became a Middle East expert. Everybody became focused on the global war of terror. All the funding in the think tanks went for this. And like a fruit fly, we, we shifted our focus from under paying attention to terrorism, which was the case when I started my career before 9-11, to overemphasizing terrorism, which isn't the great power competition that has driven the world since the Greeks. Al-Qaeda got us to thinking they were far more important than they were, which was precisely what they tried to do. Peripherally, but damagingly to us, in doing so, we missed the rise of China. We missed the most important geostrategic fact of the last generation. And we spawned a generation of people, useful idiots for Al-Qaeda and China, who were committed to nation building, who still believed the United States could do whatever it wanted. I attended a bunch of meetings of the Bush administration at this critical period. And when I would voice my objections, I was told, look, we're immensely powerful and we're immensely vulnerable. It's that second part that led to the witch's brew, as Macbeth would put it. The witch's brew that we're immensely strong, we're immensely under threat, so let's strike out. Let's drain the swamp in the world. Let's make everyone a Democrat at the point of a gun because we are feeling threatened. And it's the only way we can live in a world of peace. Immanuel Kant's theory of perpetual peace based on everyone being a democracy, which hasn't happened for a single historical moment in our history and probably never will. But let's ignore history. Let's go beyond history. Let's transcend history and focus on making everyone a democracy, a surefire way to fail, to cost us precious lives and precious treasure. All the while, the real world, the real game, the real issue, China, quietly, insidiously grew year upon year in double digits. And we blithely assume everything is fine there while we focus on something that is at best a second order problem. That's what 9-11 did to the United States. It totally uncalibrated our foreign policy. We forgot how history worked. For goodness sake, there were books going around like Fukuyama's The End of History. Everyone at the American Enterprise Institute, Richard Pearl, Frum, Ann Applebaum, all these useful idiots, Peter Beinart, said that liberal interventionism needs to happen. And so we combined the righteousness of the Democratic Wilsonians with the hard fist of the neoconservatives. And we went looking around the world, as John Quincy Adams would say, for sea monsters to slaughter. And that is a recipe for utopian failure. Because in doing this, none of these people understood how history worked. Al-Qaeda caused us to, for, to forget how the world works. That is the single biggest problem with the tragedy. It caused the elite of the country to forget how the world actually works and how history works. And only now are we waking up from our deep sleep 20 years later as we finally left Afghanistan, the tail end of this generation of disaster.
9-11 meant the world to me in terms of that I saw individual bravery, grace under pressure, as Hemingway would put it, and some of the bravest young people I ever have had the honor to work with. I'll never forget sharing that day. It's my Agincourt moment. I felt like Henry V, we few, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And I feel that this morning for every single person I worked with on that day. And it's something I'll never, ever forget. But on the other hand, 9-11 caused the United States to go into a deep amnesiac funk for the last generation from which we are only now awaking. And the result of that is that we are now in a peer competitor, great power competition with the People's Republic of China. We have to stop worrying about peripheral things and focus on the Indo-Pacific, which is the game, where all the risk and all the reward are, and focus on containing China with our allies in the region, India, the ASEAN countries, Anglosphere countries like Australia, our key great power ally Japan, newer allies like Vietnam, and work together to contain China while we grow on our own and best them. That is the game now. 9-11 was a horrible, terrible detour from reality. We must now right the ship in the name of all those who died on that day, all those who grieved, all those who suffer. We must right the ship and in their honor, best the Chinese so that the world remains with America as, it, as its head, the last best hope of earth. Thank you.